You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the imitation of Christ. Now looking at human misery and weakness. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Imitation of Christ. This is our 12th podcast on human misery and weakness from book one, chapter 22, and book three, chapter 20. The thoughts are very closely connected. I once thought things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ to become one with him. That's Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9. Our reading today is intended to give us perspective. And as we see throughout the imitation of Christ, there's a conflict between the world and God's kingdom. And too often, we're facing the wrong way. We're looking too much at the world, and we don't appreciate what's truly valuable what's truly eternal. And so let's begin our reading uh, from Thomas Akempis. And it begins with the disciple. This is uh, reflections. You know, usually it's either Christ speaking or it's the disciple. This is all uh, the disciple. Unless we turn to God, we will be miserable wherever and with whomever we find ourselves. (laughs) We become anxious because things don't happen according to our wishes and desires. But who has everything according to his or her own wishes? Neither I, nor you, nor any person on earth. There's no one free from trouble, not even the king or pope. Who is the one who is the happiest? The one whom God gives the strength to suffer. So he begins this meditation reflecting on, uh, in a very realistic way, how the world is, how life is. And we become anxious when things don't go our way. Or we don't reach the goals we've set for ourselves on a particular day or week or in a year. But often it's very little things that inconvenience us. And so if we're going to define the happy life as not being inconvenienced, having everything go our way, that's so unrealistic. Uh, He continues, many foolish and unstable people say, see what a prosperous life that person has, how great, powerful and exalted But lift up your eyes to the good things of heaven, and you will see that all these worldly things are nothing. They are utterly undependable and even wearisome, because they are never possessed without trouble and fear. Our happiness does not lie in the accumulation of temporary things, but in being content with the modest portion. The prosperous life that can make us envious can cause us to slip uh, It's like Psalm 73. And if you're not familiar with that one, it's such a key psalm. Please, please do read that. But when we lift up our eyes to the good things of heaven, Akempis says, our perspective changes totally. He reminds us that happiness does not lie in the accumulation of temporary things. One place, if I can, I like to pray is a cemetery. Because walking among the tombstones reminds me of all the things I won't be taking with me, which is pretty much everything, right? (laughs) Except 
um, my soul and my friends. And we accumulate temporary things. We should do that only as means to an end. The things are never the end itself. And then he says, being content with the modest portion. Modesty is not just covering up uh, your legs or you know, wearing clothes that aren't too tight. Modesty is also economic modesty. It's how we live. It's our lifestyle. Is it extravagant? Is it prodigal? Or is it sensible and, and modest? And of course, a great scripture on that you'll find in the Proverbs, you know, give me neither want nor riches. Let's uh, go down a little bit further. For the inner person is heavily burdened with the necessities of the body in this world. And so the psalmist devoutly prayed to be free from them, saying, my problems will go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. But woe to those who do not recognize their own misery, and an even greater woe to those who love this miserable and corruptible life. Some people go so far that if they might live here always, they would care nothing for the kingdom of God. Hey, these words may be 600 years old, but they're perfect for us. They're perfect for me and the culture in which I live. Some of us have such comfortable lives. Why would we want to die and eventually go to heaven? I mean, how could it be better than what's here? especially if it's just worship and singing. And that, that just shows how intoxicated we are by Babylon, how much we've been taken in by the lies of this world. I mean, and I feel this too. I don't have a bad life. Yeah, there's different kinds of suffering sometimes that come with age or just come with relationships. But overall, I, like most of my listeners, am living in a state of luxury compared to people, even compared to the kings at the time of uh, Thomas Akempis. I don't think they had any idea what life could be like, you know, with uh, heating and central air conditioning and, and hot water and uh, so many choices in food and, and the ability to travel to distant places quickly. I mean, we have an incredible life. Oh, foolish and faithless of heart are those people buried so deeply in worldly things that they desire nothing except the things of the flesh. That's what I'm talking about. We've got to watch out, friends. The spirit of the age is with us. The spirit of the world seduces us. And it makes us not even want to be with God. We say, well, what's wrong with this world? We really like it. I was reading an article yesterday uh, in a news magazine that said the uh, average Japanese-born today, uh, average Japanese baby has a 50% chance of reaching age 100. <laughs> oh, wow. But see, living to 100, even if you had the quality, that's not the same thing as heaven. And a compass calls us foolish and faithless of heart. Miserable ones, too sadly at last, they will learn how sinful and worthless were the things of earth they loved. Of course, he's referring here to death. The saints of God and all loyal friends of Christ consider things which please the flesh or flourish in this life as nothing and desire with their whole hope and affection, affection things which are above. Their whole desire is directed upwards to everlasting and invisible things, lest they should be drawn downwards by the love of things visible. What he's saying is we've got to set our, our minds and our hearts on things above. It's like Colossians 3 We've got to intentionally do that, or 
We'll just be looking at what's down here, all the good stuff, the goodies. Children, we must not lose our desire to grow and develop spiritually. There is still time. The hour is not past. Let us not put off our resolution. Get up and begin this very moment. Say, now is the time to do, to fight, and the right time to change my life. When we are ill at ease and troubled, that is a time when we are closest to blessing. We must go through fire and water before God may bring us into a safe place. Unless we forcibly discipline ourselves, we will not conquer our faults. Wow, there's so much in there. You know, not losing our desire to grow and develop spiritually. And maybe you've given up. Maybe you've been a Christian so long and seen so much mediocrity, you've lost that passion. He tells us there's still time. There's still time, but don't put off the resolution. Don't procrastinate. Literally, the Latin word is don't put off for tomorrow. Procrastinate. Now's the time to do it. We must forcibly, forcibly uh, discipline ourselves or we're not going to make it. He continues, not, not that we can become perfect, but listen, so long as we carry about with us this frail body, we cannot be without sin, nor can we live without weariness in the world. Right. So uh, Akempis is not saying that you can become perfect in this life. And if you don't live with perfection, there's no hope for you. Uh, that's not his teaching. But look at this. Let's end this up, this first section. And if you think you're not that weak, maybe you're listening to this and saying, oh, Kempis, he was down on himself and he was too dark and too negative. Well, you know, you're probably right. Uh, but still, we're probably more sinful than we realize. Uh, listen. Oh, how great is our weakness, for we are ever prone to evil. Today we confess our sin, and tomorrow we commit the very same sin that we confessed yesterday. We resolve to avoid a fault, and within an hour we have committed the fault as if we never resolved at all. So we have a good reason to humble ourselves and never to think highly of ourselves, knowing that we are so weak and undisciplined. How quickly some virtue is lost by our negligence after we have worked hard to attain it through grace. So we make a resolution, and sometimes not even an hour goes by, and we fail. It's as though we never made the resolution. I don't know anyone who can say, I always make my goals. I never slip. No, no, no. Everyone, everyone is sinful. What will become of us at the end if at the beginning we are uncommitted and idle? Woe to us if we choose to rest as though it were a time of peace and security and do not strive and struggle for a life of true holiness. Rather, we need to start afresh and be instructed in good living if we hope for transformation and spiritual maturity. I mean, he's concerned. What's going to happen to us if we get lazy, if we're uncommitted, if we're idle? There are so many ways we can see this. It may be a half-hearted engagement in your local church where you just come only if you're feeling healthy and strong. And, and when you come, it's normally just on a Sunday. I mean, what is that? But we're not committed to our brothers and sisters. I know that, that for me to keep growing, I've got to have time in the Word daily. I've got to have time in prayer, ideally walking outside. Easier, better probably for men than for women. It's not safe in some places, but it helps me to walk and pray and sing. Uh, to be conscious of my sin, to spend time with others, uh, living mentors and dead ones too. That is the fellowship of those who've left behind their writings and 
to be patient. These are essential. Now, in the section, Our Weakness, because uh, we were just looking at uh, on human misery, on our weakness, we're just going to read a little bit of that, okay? Um, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Often a small thing casts me down and makes me sad. I resolve that I will act bravely, but when a little temptation comes, immediately I'm in great conflict. It's often a very small matter through which a very great temptation comes. And whenever, whenever I imagine myself safe for even a moment when I'm not on guard, a little puff of wind will nearly overcome me. A puff of wind. You know, someone says something to me that's, that's not polite or, or you know, I've ordered my food and why am I having, having to wait so long? Or, oh, the company sent me the second bill twice and I've got to call them up and rebuke them. You know, things happen. Small things can cast us down, but we've got to get control over that. How about this? Oh, Lord, my humility and my frailty are completely known to you. Be merciful to me and lift me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. Do not let me remain cast down. This is what throws me backward in my spiritual journey and confuses me. I fall so easily and am so weak in resisting my temptations. And though temptation's assault is not according to your plan, it is violent and sorrowful. This daily conflict wears me down. And I am made aware of my infirmities when hateful, sinful thoughts rush in far more easily than they depart. He's humble. That's the humility we need to strive for. And let me close with... um, Two more uh, excerpts from this, uh, this particular chapter. O most mighty God of Israel, lover of all your faithful children, please look upon my labor and sorrow. Give me strength in all these struggles. Strengthen me with heavenly determination so that my fleshly desires do not overpower my spirit. Rule over me, Father, so I can strive victoriously over the temptations of this most miserable life. Well, that's a great prayer. Final paragraph. Evil desires sound like animals howling among the bushes, huddled together beneath the nettles. It's a quote from Job. They do not savor or even perceive the delight of God, nor the inward gracefulness of virtue. But those who completely despise the world and strive to live unto God in holy discipline are not ignorant of the divine delight promised to all who truly deny themselves and see clearly how sadly the world errs and in how many ways it deceives its inhabitants. My friends, brothers and sisters, listening to this lesson, this meditation, let's learn from a Kempis. Let us despise the world. Live for God in holy discipline, denying ourselves, not be taken in by the lies of the evil one. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on the imitation of Christ. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.